welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Nicole Levy to the Inside the Eight podcast. Nicole is the assistant coach at Colorado. And Colleen McGarity and I are really fired up to have her on. How are you doing, Nicole? Great. Thanks for having me. For sure. Yeah, welcome, Nicole. It's good to catch you guys in action last week and catch you coaching and actually get to see kind of hand-in-hand girls you said that were doing well at practice really step up in this game. So I thought that was kind of awesome just to see it translate right away. And um, yeah, super excited to have you. Obviously, I love Colorado. Love the Buffs. Used to coach there for all the listeners on here. Nicole now coaching there and doing a great job and um, really handling the offense. So I really want to kind of just first question for you is what is your kind of coming into Colorado? What was your main mindset, overall thought, and like what was your biggest impact, I guess, that you wanted to make as a coach with the Buffalo team? Yeah, so I think um, for me, especially being right out of college and, and coming from where I came from, for me, I, you know, I noticed them in partner passing and, and they were doing a great job and they had decent stick skills, but I didn't see anyone really getting outside their comfort zone, um, you know, and, and nothing grows, uh, nothing grows when you're staying inside that comfort zone. So I think for me, it was more about getting them to play a little bit more like creatively, like behind their back, a couple of Twizzlers, you know, around the world and stuff like that, letting them let loose and, you know, remind them a little bit about other things that they can do. And also that lacrosse is fun and it's supposed to be fun. Uh, that leads me into give us a little bit more on like you as a player or your background, because obviously your teaching philosophy relates directly to the you as a player. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, it's kind of it starts back when I was growing up. Most people, you know, on Thanksgiving, they're out there with their families playing football. Uh, but for me, I grew up playing, you know, 3v3 on a mini stick uh, net in my backyard. And I think that really translates over from my style of play. Because it's it's that idea of, of backyard lacrosse, right? And it's um it's just it's about like finding your why and rem- remembering like the good times you had in your backyard, like running around there with my friends and my cousins and just playing for fun, no pressure, and just you know throwing a BTB, running a little two man game, doing stuff like that. And I think when it when I ended up getting older and I ended up at Syracuse, um, that kind of style of play was obviously, you know, encouraged by Gary and that coaching staff. And I think that they did a good job of letting us kind of be who we were as players. So my player identity was really found in college, especially like with that outside shot. I don't think many people were doing it that much, you know, and and I think that because of where I was, I was able to just be who I was as a player. That's like so much easier said than done. So I want to say what has been the hardest part to get some of these Colorado girls to buy into that philosophy because I feel like so many girls fear making mistakes you know what I mean or I don't know they don't want to take a risk right so it actually it comes down to their confidence and I think you know obviously I can help build confidence and I can give compliments and teach and all that stuff but what it comes down to is their reps I think you get really confident when you're doing the reps a lot and a lot in practice so I, I make sure that they know in practice, I'm never going to yell at them for trying something new. Um, and then hopefully like they do it a couple of times. And then when they get in the game, they feel super comfortable 
uh, they just throw, you know, throwing a BTB is just like throwing a normal pass. They don't think about it, it just comes to them. And again, it's, it's that confidence piece of just repping it in practice. You said so many trigger words that I know Jamie just waiting on Vanessa questions. So I'll go right over to Jamie. Thanks. Um, I love the fact that you guys played so much backyard lacrosse. I've been so into that for the last like four years with, with my kids and, and with um, some of the athletes that I work with. And, you know, when you talk about confidence, I feel like so much of it can be gained from the backyard because the reps that you're getting, they're realistic game reps, you know, cause it's a, it's a two on one or it's a two V two or it's a two man game or it's a three V two, whatever it is. And it's there that you can start making the play that's in front of you that behind the back pass isn't just because it looks cool, which it does, but it's really because it's, it's the quickest way to deliver the ball in the most deceptive manner with an angle that allows you to do it. That might be better than a forehand angle and it's quicker than switching hands. Right. So I just love the way that you've described your development. And, and I want to actually ask you, how do you feel like the confidence grows from the backyard? So I think when you're, it's all about that pressure kind of aspect. When you're playing in your backyard, there's no pressure. You're, you can do whatever you want. You're going to get the ball back in probably like five seconds. Um, so I think just like when we're playing, and we actually play a lot of three by, um, we do, we try to do it on Fridays. We have the mini net and we go three on three, someone jumps in goal. So it's that constant, like a uh, continuous three V two. And it's a lot of fun, but I do think that, you know, like playing that so much without the pressure allows for them to kind of get comfortable with their stick. And then it translates into practice on a, on a bigger scale. And they kind of, you know, you still see it as you did still the, it's similar to three by, you still see the two men when you have it. And um, I do think that it's just, again, about that confidence and just kind of being able to know, oh, I've done this before. I've seen this before. No big deal. Yeah. And you get a chance to play without thinking because when right. you're in practice, your coaches are going to make you think about stuff, which they have to do. And you're going to be thinking about all kinds of things. Maybe, maybe you did get yelled at, or maybe you're, you know, the fifth attacker and you thought you should be the fourth or whatever. You're thinking about other stuff, but when you're playing in the backyard and you're playing three by you're literally just, it's, it's like being in the zone all the time. It's like practicing being in the zone. Yep. Totally. How's your goaltending skills, Nicole? <laughs> um, it depends who I'm playing against, <laughs> but um, actually not that bad, but I do get sore really quickly because I might be a little bit out of shape and you have to hold that squat position. So it's kind of tough. <laughs> I actually really took a liking to the goalie when we were in Del Rey. So I went down to Florida with Jamie and we played just three by bunch of great college girls and um, current high school girls and college guys. It was, it was just an awesome setup just to oh, yeah. do exactly what we were just talking about and have some fun while learning. And I became a really good goalie. So I think that's my new, I was like kicking people out. I'm like, no, that's my spot. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's awesome. As long as you're um, afraid of the ball. <laughs> exactly. Um, going more into just like, the two man and, you know, off ball two man, is this obviously something that you guys are trying to incorporate now a lot at Colorado? Totally. Yeah. I think um, for the most part, I mean, we, we definitely have some strong uh, Dodgers and, and finishers and stuff like that, but I do think that, you know, a little bit of confusion within the defense of having that two man We've been working on that a lot. And with the younger kids too, especially some of them, you can see it's kind of like generationally, the younger kids have already done it. Um, within their clubs and some of the older kids have no, had no idea like what it was and, and things like that. It's definitely been interesting, but I think that they understand it. I mean, we, but 
we do things like that every day and, and just like simple flips and picks and rolls and stuff like that. So um, we definitely try to incorporate that. We're working on the off ball. We have a long way to go with that, but. Off ball, I know. I always ask that. I kind of just helpful insights from coaches. I struggle with that too. Just my girls can't stop standing, staring, you know, staring and watching the play. So just getting them to really engage their defender is really hard to do. Um, do you have any like kind of advice or some drills that you think are working, helping them with the off ball right now? Yeah, I mean, we just usually rep it, rep it, rep it, and we kind of give them a structure of what they should be doing in certain sets. Um, we're also trying to work on a little bit of like a three-man as well um, to build off of that two-man, just to add that extra slide coming from down low or, or wherever it's coming from, but to kind of confuse that defense to almost like drawing them into sending that second slide so that that end up that three-man, uh, that next girl is actually wide open. So we're definitely working on that. The, um, the off-ball piece is like where the magic happens and it is so it's really weird how it just seems like people aren't very good off ball but i've been thinking about this because it's true in men's across and women's across and sometimes i think that the reason why kids don't move that much is because they're so used to going to a position and they're kind of used to being put in a set and being told okay this is what we're running go here and then okay now move when somebody dodges at you and now, oh, don't do that when this happens. And as opposed to, and I've been thinking a lot about this coaching um, off ball with principles, um, such as, you know, spacing and picking off ball. I mean, maybe if we made it that simple that they would just start doing things. And then you begin to teach them how to read the defense after they begin their, their, their exercises and actually setting picks off ball. Instead, we're like, oh, no, exchange when we do this and then like clear through here and fade here. And we just start making it almost like piecemeal reads instead of like the bigger picture of, hey, we got to create space for the Dodger. We got it. We can't let one person guard two, and we should be setting picks off ball and reading the defense all in bigger picture principles. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that and how you might apply principles to your offense. Yeah, I think, you know. Cause it's hard because the two man game is supposed to, is not supposed to be structured, but to a point to like a certain point, you have to almost give them that little bit of structure to do it. But honestly, for, for us, like, and I've found this in the past two teaching like club teams and stuff like that back on Long Island is um, the timing of it, I think is what they really struggle with is like the timing of when they should be cutting or when they should be doing their off ball pick while um, the on ball two man is going on. So I think that that's like definitely the, the struggle that, I've seen, but uh, so we try to, what we try to do is kind of like have them go right from a set. So we'll have them throw it, pick a side, throw it to a side. And then whatever side's running that two man, we try to do that, do it like kind of when, so if I'm dodging off a pick, as soon as I make that dodge off the pick is kind of when that two man off ball is going to start. So that if that initial pass back to the seal isn't there, then we're going to try to hit that other side. But definitely the timing I would say is, is yeah. what we're Agreed. Um, how do you teach the difference and differentiate between picking, slipping, and sealing? So I actually, I tell them to seal every single time. Um, the slip, we haven't really gotten there yet uh, because I think sometimes when they turn, they're kind of finding the ball in the air and it's a little bit too late. But when we're doing the seal, the biggest thing that I like to teach is recently, because we've had problems where if we're, if we're coming up, it's hard to kind of, I'm trying to explain it without like standing up and showing you, um, yeah. I'm more of a visual type of person, but 
when when we're setting it square onto our defender with our hip like our feet right in the middle of like their their hip that's no good like we need to take so if I'm setting it on the looking at the cage on that left side I want to take my left foot and put like if I'm doing a down pick take my left foot and align it with the defender's hips so that when I'm opening up I'm able to seal it gives me that extra like step to roll off of and really get a better seal um so I think it's it's that's what we're like we've been doing um at at Q's we definitely did a lot of slips and stuff like that and and it really was just kind of reading the defense that's all two man is and, and that's what people struggle with is that that being able to read it because it is it takes obviously it takes a lot of skill and you're catching in tight and throwing in tight little lever passes and stuff like that but what really separates a good two man and a, a poorly set up two man is going to be that iq and i think when it comes to the slips and the um you know and the seals and all that stuff it it really comes down to the player's iq and their ability to read a defense interesting Colleen, I got one more question on two-man, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. What, how, how do you um, view two-man game on and off ball versus zones? So that's a great question. So we actually prefer when we're running a two-man – it depends on the type of zone, but usually if it's going to be like a 4-1-2 or a 3-2-2 type of, uh, type of a zone, I like to tell the players to – instead of setting that actual pick, is it's more of a shallow cut and like a C cut kind of back to the ball rather than actually setting that pick. Um because it will, it, again, it also depends on the way they play defense. But if, if I'm like watching film and scouting and recognizing that a zone is going to snap back into their, into their positions, uh, right. Or their spots or zones, whatever you call it. Um, then we want to do that shallow cut to try to draw the two and just kind of almost like a, like a filtering on the backside and the, and the ball side, more of like that shallow cut and kind of filter and try to drag both defenders into the same zone and then get that pass back. And against the zone, I also would prefer to do like more of that dragging and passing back rather than focusing on the two men. Interesting. Call? Yeah. One thing I want to keep on for this offensive mindset as well is what is one thing you help with their IQ? How do you, do you just keep repping it out? Do you do any other like keep away drills or stuff before you get into sevens or, you know, are you just constantly doing two man, two V two and then break and then building from there? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. Um, the biggest one we do is film. We watch film with our players all the time, whether it's practice, game, or, or another team that we know will, will run a two-man very well. Like, watching a bunch of film with them is, is definitely helped. But the other thing is playing three-by. Um, that's just repping and being comfortable and having fun with it. And then in practice, yeah, we'll do a bunch of just 2v2s, half of the eight, and give them, like, a space that they have to work with. And, and you know, we give them, like – couple of seconds to try and if it's not there they're swinging to the other side but it's just pretty much reps and, and watching film love it now when you guys watch film do you do it individually with your kids a lot or is it offensive kids and or just a little bit of everything all of the above all of the above yeah we do um we do individual a lot if the girls want to you know set up a zoom whatever they just shoot me a text the night before and we'll set it up and then we do offense, defensive, and then we've also done as a whole team. So it's we definitely hit that film a lot, and, and I think it really benefits us in the long run, especially, again, with their IQ. It's kind of – I said that's the silver lining a little bit of COVID is this easeability of watching film together via Zoom, where I feel like you always could have done that. Totally, totally. But, like, in, in North, North, at Northwestern, we'd have to, like, set it up, go to the office, watch it on the screen, you know what I mean? So it just happened a little bit less, where, like, right. now we're in a time where it's just so – it's you can easily watch it. Oh yeah. And fr from anywhere e either too. So it definitely, I can see even when COVID, you know, hopefully goes away um, <laughs> and everyone gets vaccinated, we can 
we can definitely continue to use Zoom. I think it's helped us a lot. Awesome. James, well, do you have any more offensive questions? Um, yeah, one follow-up on the, on the film and then one more question on offense. But from a film perspective, just for all the coaches, high school coaches out there, it's really worth it to film practice when, when and where you can. And you can do it on your phone. You can do it from ground level. Um, you can, you don't have to film, you know, partner passing, but if you film any drill or any, anything that has decision-making and things, you, you as the coach, just like in a game, you don't really know what happened, just like the players don't know what happened. And so how big is film for you guys in practice? Huge. Um, yeah, we watch, we watch practice film all the time. And the other thing with that is like, you know, something like transition like a simple 5v4 you might only get one or two opportunities a game to actually perform that but in practice you're repping it over and over again so it's super important that we film that especially because we've been you know like if we're struggling with that um watching it in practice you get to see it over and over again where in a game you might only get two three clips tops of yeah. that scenario so definitely practice but i can actually do you one more here is that when i was when i was in maybe even in high school, um, just doing like trainings with the younger kids too, is like, I always used to bring my phone or my iPad and like record, like when, so my biggest thing when I was coming out of college, especially like my, after my freshman year was I came home to the Island and some of the girls that I was training, they were all wanting to learn my shot, wanting to learn the shot, whatever. So I went out there with them and I would record them and then record myself and then watch that with them and show them the differences. And if their hands were like too in tight, you know, um, or if they weren't reaching back all the way, if they weren't uh, their, their hips and how like their feet were aligned and where they were aiming, like stuff like that, you can really see it. So even individually, I think watching film is great. And we actually have a tripod here and I, there's a, you know, there's a girl on our team that really does shoot sidearm and she has a great sidearm shot and we've been working on that and I'll film her sometimes and throw it up on huddle and she, she can go back and watch her form and really study her form and adjust it the next day. Perfect segue into my offensive question, which was going to be about your shooting because the first time I remember seeing you was like the guy, Patrick McEwen from Lax Film Room put together this um, video and this thing about how you like scored at from every corner um, you scored low, right, top, right, top, left, low, left. I think it was all from your, um, from your underhand, um, angle, uh, swing angle, but can you talk a little bit about your shooting specifically with the eight meter rips that you like, because I've always felt like it's a great thing and you're seeing it more and more now. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on how you develop that and how you teach it. Totally. Um, I think for me being five, two and not the fastest at all. Um, and adjusting to that division one level was even in high school, I actually started shooting a little bit more is because I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't strong enough to get off the line and to be able to take one of those shots like everyone else. So I adapted and I just started working on that outside shooting. I also grew up watching boys lacrosse. I played when I was um, in elementary school. So I definitely always loved that. But I think for me, it was, it started out because I wasn't quick enough and I couldn't get off that line. And then it just, from there, I worked out at this, uh, this goalie training school in Long Island. It's called breakout goaltending. And my job every Sunday for four hours was to just shoot on goalies. And I got to the point, um, and I would do this every Sunday through high school, pretty much since my sophomore year. 
And I think it, one, it made me a better shooter. And two, it, it taught me how to play goalie, which I think really translated for me because I, I can think like a goalie and know where they were going to be. So I, if you actually notice, I, I actually do end up shooting stick side high very often, but there's ways that I, I kind of angle my hips and I can use a little bit more of deception with my shoulder and try to throw some goalies off. And I think working there has definitely helped me. But again, with those eight meters, um, it came down to me not being able to get off the line and then realizing this is my only option, might as well get good at it. So just reps and reps and reps. So sick. And for, for listeners out there, for any athletes, anytime you can shoot on a goalie, it is so valuable because what are you really working on if you're shooting on an empty net all the time, right? True. Right. What You True. learned how to move and manipulate and handcuff and make goalies dip make them stand up, make them late or see what doesn't work. Right. You know, every time that they caught it, you'd be like, Oh, I had her. I just missed my spot. Or, huh. I wonder why she like read that. And that yeah. that's massively important, isn't it? Totally. I mean, I'll give you some of my secrets. So if I, that's you know, if I have a couple, so when I had those, the risers and they hit the top shelf, when I want to go bring it low the next time, because I think of it as kind of like a rock, paper, scissors, if you're going to get four, eight, I got eight meters all the time in college because refs were always looking for that cheating space call because they knew I was, I would shoot. So getting those eight meter calls and kind of understanding that it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, you don't want to shoot the same place three times in a row. So when I get on that line, um, a lot of times I'll lift my shoulder up so it looks like it's going to be a riser, but then keep it low on the ground. Um, and oh, I always aim for the pipes. I never just like shoot low or shoot high. It's always aiming for those pipes. And uh, so that's the one deception. And the other one that I've, I've gotten better at as I got older um, in college, like my junior, senior year, I started working on it is stepping. So usually I, you know, I always teach like you want to step to the cage, you want to kick the goal in the chest to square up. So I started practicing opening my hips and then pulling it. to. So like the goalie would think I would pull it to the near pipe, but I would actually end up pulling it to the far pipe. So it's a lot of, it's, you know, the shoulders, the hips, not just your hands and your eyes when you're shooting with deception. It could also be in your hips and your shoulders. I love yeah. that. And I was going to say, I was going to go on to deception. Deception is huge. And Jamie and I talk about this a lot. It's just teaching it. It's hard. You know what I mean? You just have to play. And like yeah. telling someone to be more deceptive, like some of their fakes are just so obvious. You're just like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? So do you have any tips on like, helping your girls at Colorado or even younger girls to help with the deception with your eyes, with your hips, with your body language. Totally. Yeah. I, a couple things, actually. Uh, one thing we do at practice uh, a lot and very often is like just a simple four V three cone box drill. And we have the, you know, offense passing around the cones and uh, defense in there. And it's, it really works in their deception because they, they are encouraged for the BTB passes, the no look passes, like, you know, like a quick hitch and then a skip. We do a lot. I call it hitch dip and dunk which is one of my favorites. We do that almost every day in partner passing. So they'll throw the hitch and they'll like bring their stick down, not their whole body, and then just come right back over the top. I think that helps, especially for low attackers around the crease. Um, it's just like changing levels, not just faking, but also changing those levels and getting the goalie to really drop and then bringing it right over her head. Um, and then for the no looking, like kind of shooting, I actually, when I was in college, me and me and Kayla Turner used to go out there and shoot when I was a freshman, she was a senior, we used to shoot for, and I'm not even exaggerating, we'd be out there for like six hours a day. Um, and we would just, we would play fun game. We would play horse. We would play. Um, so like if I, if I took a shot and I'd be like, all right, BTB bottom left and I hit it, then she would have to, or she would like do something crazy. And obviously I probably couldn't have done it because whatever she was doing was way above my level at that time. 
but we would just have fun. And then another drill she taught me, um, we were just messing around and she stood at X and I stood right in front of the crease and I would catch, look at one corner, shoot at the other and make sure that you're not like following your shot though. Like continue to look at that one corner right after you shoot. And we used to do that for hours. But I, and I do that now when I do a couple individuals and stuff like that, I make sure that I work on that. So cool. Um, I wanted to actually, you maybe think of one other offensive question that I want to ask you um, if we're good on shooting right now, Kyle, are you good on that? So the question is um, about dodging. You were talking about how you're five, two and, and, and not like more athletic than your defender. I'm sure you use deception a lot in your dodging too, whether it be hitches to set up shooting space opportunities or to make them take an angle that's like not shooting space. So you can just kind of like have a free lane to the net. But what were some of the things that you did and how did you learn to be a, a dodger um, when you're not faster and running by quote, running by your defender all the time? Totally. I, I actually love this question. So um, that's actually was one of my struggles leading into my sophomore year because my, my freshman year at Syracuse, um, I was that outside shooter and what made me successful was literally playing with Kayla trainer because she would get the ball at X, the defense would shift. They would send a double that would leave me wide open on the back right side. Cause she played low left would leave me wide open. She, her vision and her IQ, she would just get that skip pass. I would just catch and shoot. That's all I had to do. Come my sophomore year, it was a big adjustment because I didn't have that anymore. And a lot of the eyes, more like the defensive eyes shifted towards me. And it was a little bit harder to adjust to that because I wasn't much of a dodger my freshman year. Um, but, you know, I, I worked with Gary um, outside of practice and stuff a couple of times. And then what I what I started to realize and, and kind of understand is when you're dodging, and I tell my players this all the time, especially around the crease, when you're dodging, you're not dodging to beat your defender. You're just dodging to free your hands. That's all you need to do. So once I kind of understood that, yes, I would use deception in my dodge, but I would know that as soon as I come off my dodge, I'm ready looking to shoot because I'm not going to be able to take those extra steps because by the time I do, those defenders are going to probably crash on me um, and all that stuff. So I definitely worked on my dodging and a lot of my dodging you know, you, you come from high school and then go to college and, and my, my dodging shifted from like the traditional jump, um, sorry, traditional roll dodge, split dodge to then a jump stop, uh, jump stop roll, jump, jump stop split, uh, stuff like that. I definitely, definitely am a fan of like the toe drag and stuff like that too. But also knowing, knowing that I'm not looking to beat my defender. I don't need to beat my defender. I just need to free my hands. So I think that was my biggest thing. So interesting. And just shoot it around them, right? Yep. Yeah. Once you get that step, kind of learning how to shield them with my body as I'm going to shoot so I don't fall through and hit them. And also just having that awareness of where everyone else is in the middle of the eight. Very cool. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's as a coach coaching defense sometimes too, I'm just they're like, what can I do? I'm like, nothing really besides put them in a really bad angle that that's a tough shot, you know? So it is really almost impossible to stop because you're going to get your stick around them some way. You know what I mean? Like, Right. So it's really interesting because I know the defenders and me personally, I remember my first pro game, forget who it was, just ripped a shot right by my head. And I was like, <laughs> I was there like, but she shot around my head. Like maybe I could have moved my stick there. Um, but it's just frustrating. So it's just like, and I think that's the evolution of our game where that used to not happen. Totally. Yeah. Um, Jamie, any more offensive questions? Um, no, not right now. We can always ask another one. Yeah. I know this is a more offensive podcast today, but I really wanted to get a little bit into the draw too. Um, yeah. Saw you working on it at practice and 
Is that, you know, something you're handling now at Colorado? Is that something you took in college? And I mean, it's such an important piece of the game. So do you guys wrap this out every day? What's kind of your guys go to? Yeah. So um, I have been doing a lot of draw work with them. I never took the draw in college, took it in high school, but I think everyone pretty much took it in high school. So it doesn't really count, but what happened, so I've always known that I wanted, I'm exactly where I wanted to be since I was in ninth grade. I knew I always wanted to coach at this level and, and be where I was. And I saw a bunch of my friends graduating and becoming coaches at Accuse and hearing them talk and they're saying, yeah, like I have, I'm in charge of the draws. Like a lot of, the, I, I can, I kind of got like that, that idea, like, oh, maybe that's like the assistant coach's job. Like I'm going to have to do the draws. If that's my one thing that I'm going to be doing, I, I better be good at it. So what happened was my senior year in the fall, I had pretty bad ankle surgery. I had a couple of screws put in and I was out all fall until pretty much our first game in the spring. So that entire fall I took, I was on a scooter um, and I was scooting around practice and I would just follow wherever um, this, a girl on our team, we called her Mogo. Her name's Morgan Widener, called her Mogo for Fogo, but she would teach me. I was like, Mogo, teach me everything. Cause she was also out, like sometimes not really doing stuff in practice. Cause she was working on the draws and I was like, teach me everything, you know, and she did. And, and she did a great job of that. And I think when I came here, you know, I, I kind of really like said what she would say and also focus a lot on what my strength is coming out of the draw is just like the physicality and the blue collar and the boxing out. I think that's the most important thing is it's not only just the draw person's, you know, job, it's also those circle people. So I think really what we focus on a lot in the beginning, especially when I was still kind of learning the whole position of, of being a part of the draw team, which I never was, is that whole, the circle, you know, the circle girls uh, really need to focus on their box out and being able to read the ball. So we did a bunch of like box out drills and stuff like that. And then, yeah, then I don't know, I guess everything that I learned from Morgan also, you know, I, I roomed with Julie Cross who also took the draws. So she definitely gave me some pointers too. Um, but I took, yeah, I took that fall semester really, really, tried to make the best out of it. And I tried to learn as much as I could. Not only would I do that, but I also would follow around Caitlin DeFelice and try to learn as much as I could from her defensively, just so that I would understand defense as well. That's so awesome. I mean, talk about taking advantage of an unfortunate situation that's now probably helping you tremendously. Um, I mean, the draw is just so important and there's so many little ins and outs, just being able to have that, you know, knowledge behind it from a great people and players at Syracuse. Um, I remember being at Colorado boxing out was like huge emphasis for Ann and it was a huge emphasis for us at Northwestern. And um, what kind of drills do you guys do now? Do you just literally do stand? Like, I remember us doing basketball box out drills when we were at Colorado, just like teaching them how to actually box out. Then there was one game where we held the box and we were like, you actually have to go get the ball. Like, the box, ball. Yeah. Stop boxing out for 10 seconds. You, the ball's right there. Oh, we have the same problem. <laughs> It's ongoing, but uh, yeah, I mean, some of the drills we do is like, could be just a simple ground ball. Uh, sometimes I'll set up the draw, but I'll, I'll like hold the onto the ball and not let them actually, you know, take it. And I'll just blow the whistle and then throw it to where I want it so that they have to kind of read where it's going and then, and then hold their box out. Um, for the draw people, it's easier because we, what we work on is not only like their wrist motions, we'll do like quick wrists and then we'll go into like the big motion. And then the last step we add is that first step. So if they're going to, you know, if they're going to win it in front of them, they're, as they go up with their hands, their feet need to follow and they need to box out the gr other girl taking the draw, especially because we don't really have much height on our, on our draw squad um, for the draw takers. So it's really important that they box out. But one of my favorite drills that we do here and we used to do all the time at Syracuse was 
it's actually a transition drill, but it leads into the circle people on the draw. So it starts with the bounce back at the draw circle and right on the line. And we have like it tilted like up or down, whatever. At Syracuse, we had two of them. So we had one tilted up and one tilted down. And we have two girls on the circle. We'll throw it off the wall, have them like fight for that. And that's kind of like their box out and their like circle kind of reps that they get. And then they run down and they'll they'll end up like if they pick up the ball, they end up in a 5v4. The other girl, we roll a ball out too. She'll pick it up and go the other way into a 5v4. So that's also how we work on not only the draws and the boxing out, but also transition. I love that. I definitely want to see that drill and do it with my high school girls. Yeah, I um, know it sounds fun, and it sounds like a lot of reps, which they need. Totally. You guys using uh, Gary's stick on the draw? Of course we are. <laughs> yes, we have about four of them. <laughs> I have them too. I was like, now, but now, like the whole high school has them. But I'm like, we need yeah. the draw stick. Yeah. Almost everyone we play ends up having them anyway, but. Um, yeah, it's kind of just there. We have four of them, and I've like kind of manipulated some of them to string them a little bit differently. So hopefully that gives them an advantage. But totally. And now, are you guys big like push that fast break right off the draw? Do you guys practice that a lot? Just kind of looking for that first first look. We we do and we don't because the I mean those. So that's the thing is like before the gate draw stick. I feel like draw sticks you couldn't really play with. That's the best thing about this gate draw stick is that like our girls are actually comfortable shooting and, and passing and, and all that stuff with them. So now we've definitely focused on it a little bit more. I think it's still kind of tough, especially because we usually have, cause we've been working now with, uh, you know, D mids and, and Fogos and all that stuff. So when we have that, it's, it's harder to push because we might have one less attacker and we have might have the D mid standing on that uh, defensive end. So it's harder for us, I think, to push that transition straight off the draw, but I think it definitely has helped if we, if she is running, if our draw girl is running straight mid at the time, it's easier to push, especially with that gate stick, because it, it is, it's almost like a field stick. Yeah, totally. That kind of led, unless Jamie, you have one, I want to ask about your midfield situation. Do you guys have mainly um, straight middies or are you working with a lot of A midi, C middies? What are you kind of doing right now? Yeah, we're doing, so we're doing a little bit of both. Um, it's again, it, it depends on the, the type of team we're going to play. Like if they play a zone, if they play a man, we got to make sure that we have like our strengths on that field. So it's all going to depend on that. Um, we're, we try to run. I mean, it's obviously so much easier if you're just running straight middies because they can stay on and then just sub off uh, the D middies. It, it causes a lot of commotion in the, in, in the box and, you know, it can get a little stressful, but I think we've practiced enough where they, they're used to it. And so we're right now we're trying to just play to our strengths. And if that means that we're playing with a mids, D mids, that's what we're doing. Um, and if we're playing against a team where we think we can run straight mids then we'll do that. Got it. Jamie, anything in the midfield? Uh, no, just um, I think it seems like um, everybody wants to be able to run two-way middies. Um, but in the end, especially when you're playing against zones, you just really need to get your smartest, slickest offensive players out there. And they may not be the best uh, defenders. Or you might have like an awesome fifth attacker who's a freshman and, you know, like a Nicole Levy that's probably not going to play defense, but you want to get her on the field. And so that's why you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we have that exact situation actually going on. Um, and then the other thing to think about, too, is when we're playing teams that really can push transition, and if they're not coming to the box and they're just pushing transition, it's hard to run people to the box because you're, you're kind of losing out on that ride a little bit. So that's, that's also something we have to consider when we're scouting and, and preparing for games.
how, how do you deal with that? I mean, obviously you can't go with three A middies because then you'll really be in trouble. Right. But if you have one or two, you know, I guess it sort of depends on the kind of transition you're giving up. If it's a bad turnover, you're going to be in trouble. If it's a if it's a shot save and the goalie catches it, you're probably going to be in trouble. But if it's, you know, an expired shot clock or if it's, you know, a rebound, you can start to at least get middies and attackers back and then you can get the closest girls off the field whether they're an attacker or a midi right totally yeah so I think um you know something that we worked on last game was actually kind of forcing out of that like when we were in our ride as soon as there was like a save or like a shot clock violation like you said if the goalie had the ball we would kind of like overload the far side sideline so that they were they were forced to bring the ball up our box side so we were able to kind of draw them to the box and then also get off quick and and then um you know get that sub in so I think that that was super helpful but yeah it is it's it's definitely tough and you know you want like you said you want your smartest kids out there on the field and you want to be so so successful offensively but there are other factors it's not that easy you know because you have to make sure that you're doing the the subs and all that stuff totally I like that overloading the one side I feel like that's super helpful too when you're playing against even teams in high school that aren't good at going up with their left hand. Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, kind of getting to defense a little bit. You guys, have you been incorporating man to man? I know Anne's a little bit of both. We did obviously a little bit of everything at Northwestern and Anne's a defensive minded coach. Um, she was my defensive coach at Northwestern. Um, have you guys been, what's your guys plan this year? Zone man to man, a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I think it's always good to be, you know, to practice both and always have it in your back pocket, um, you know, if you need to, because certain teams might struggle under pressure of a zone where others might um, struggle against man-to-man. So I think it's it's good. Like we work on both and we have both ready to go if we ever needed to break it out, which is awesome. And then the other reason that that's really big for me as an offensive mindset is having the defense be good at both man and zone really helps our offense because if we're scouting against a team that plays man, they play man. If we're scouting against a team that plays zone, they can play that zone. So um, I think in, in all aspects, it's good to be good at both, whether you need to break it out in a game or if it's just to help our offense get better at something that we're struggling in. Totally. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. And you guys do do well, both. Do you guys start your year out fun- starting with fundamentals, man to man, and then kind of build into that zone concept? Um, sorry, offensively or defensively or defensively, sorry, defensively. Yeah, I think so in the past we've, we've done kind of that zone. We've started to, um, work on that man to man, especially cause when we were, you know, trying to help our offense out and we're running our two men, we, we do run it. We try to run that against like man to man and stuff like that. So I think that they have gotten better. Also our, our defense right now is, is pretty athletic. So it's easier for us to play the, that man to man against, uh, other teams. So I was going to say, Anne's definitely one to choose to your strengths. And after watching your game, you guys did a really good job against Denver defensively and offensively. But overall, I think it was, she was, you guys were probably satisfied with, you know, the improvement from the last games. Totally. And I don't know the exact numbers, but I, it's, it's so funny and I laugh about it. And we actually laugh about it in the office. I've never, never in my life have been, have I been a part of a team where there's five attackers, five goalies and like 12 defenders. <laughs> and, and Jamie, I saw your eyes light up there. Yeah, it's 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 insane. It's actually insane. Um, you know, at Cuse we had probably close to fifteen attackers. So um, definitely different for me. But um, you know, they get a lot of reps, and they 
with the attackers get a lot of reps, so it's good for them. Um, it's kind of nice, probably, because one on ones defensively are not the best. You right, know, right. if you have a lot of people to practice against, it might oh, be a little right. nicer for those attackers, and you want a lot of reps on the attacking end. Right. Yeah, we get plenty of reps, plenty of reps on the attacking end for sure. That's great. And you get to shoot on goalies. <laughs> on yes shoot on goalies and our goalies are great I mean they do a really good job of just being out there an hour two hours before practice every day and they're if they're there and someone else is there and wants to shoot they're there taking shots and and I really admire that because I don't think they get enough credit um especially the like the goalies that might not play in the games but are there every day in practice and every day before practice because our shooting percentage went from 10% our first weekend. And I'm not exaggerating that it literally, we shot 10 for 34 um, in one of our games. And then to just playing Denver, we, we were up to 50. And I think our goalies deserve all the credit in the world because they were out there every day with our attackers and our midfielders and, and taking the shots. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm there every day and I see it in our attackers and our middies, they, they tend to hit the goalie a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to be standing in there and, and making their teammates better is super inspiring. And I think that they, they definitely deserve a lot of credit for that win. It seems like they're really buying into, at least now, that whole concept of just like get you need extra reps. Like you need to stay like what you get in a practice isn't enough. And we say it all the time as coaches, but and they need to wanna wanna go out there before, after and learn or just like oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, we are out there two hours a day in practice and we have a lot of concepts to go over. We don't have time to to sit there and shoot, you know, fifty times each. So I think it's super important that they understand that the they're only going to get, they're going to get better if they start doing stuff outside of practice, right? They need to work hard outside of practice. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean they need to be out there like sprinting up and down the field, but if they're out there taking a bucket of balls and just shooting around. And, and like I said, like me and Kayla used to do, we used to literally play horse. Like we were having fun. Um, if they can just do that and, and, and enjoy it and also just get out there and, and rep and rep and rep, I think we will continue to, to get better. Love awesome. All right. So last topic. Um, is about uh, college lacrosse recruiting. And uh, Colin and I always love to pick the brains of college coaches um, about things that they're looking for and, and how they recruit. And of course, you know, recruiting in this pandemic. But let's start off with how do you recruit attackers? How do you view them? And how do you kind of recruit the position within the position? Love, love, love this question because I, and it might be a little bit biased towards myself, but I am not looking for, you know, obviously uh, you want someone fast and athletic and all that stuff and, and good hands. But the reality of it is, is when you get to the college level, everybody's fast, everybody's strong, everybody can pass and catch. What's going to separate you from everyone else in that attacking mindset? And for me, that's going to be your IQ. I want to see somebody who's out there um, making, making the plays, like the little plays that no one, you know, you might not recognize right away, but doing the little things. And, and I've always, I've said this, we've, we've had come, come to us and and stuff like that. But for me, what makes a player, a, a, a good player can make themselves look good on any field. The great players make their teammates look good. And that comes from their IQ. So when I'm recruiting specifically attackers, because they're going to be the ones that are really quarterbacking that offense is I'm, I don't care if you're not the fastest. I don't care if you're not the strongest, but if, if you're smart and you're, you're making your teammates better out there by doing the little things and, and by, you know, dodging hard and, and recognizing that one more or running that two men and setting that off ball pick when, when the ball's on the other side of the field, that's the type of player I want to recruit because they're going to make their teammates better. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you how you what you actually look for, and you kind of answered it with some of the off-ball movement or some of the ways they make the one more pass. Honestly, sometimes it's just moving the ball and swinging it, right? I mean, just to be able yeah. to be good, there's value in just moving the ball, and so many kids just hang on to it forever. And the, one of the biggest thing, and it's the it's the most simple thing ever, and and it's I can I honestly I feel like I can tell if a player is going to be decent or not based off of their my first five seconds of watching them cradle. If they're not using their bottom hand at all, I'm like, eh, she might not have like the skill that you think that she might have, right? But if they're out there using their bottom hand, their bottom uh, hand to cradle and, and really have that like kind of like a dangle, I'm like, okay, that this kid is going to have stick skills. And, and you know, sometimes I'm wrong because, you know, you can't be right all the time. But most of the time that's, that's the case is if they're really having that bottom hand cradle that um, – I'm going to make myself laugh here, but Gary used to call it swagger and he always meant confidence and like their cradle and stuff like that. That's how I know um, they're probably going to be a decent lacrosse player. I mean, you bring up a great point though, because if you don't have that type of hand motion and hand skill, they can't do the deception. Well, right. Right. Do the things that we're talking about. So if you are solely that like fast cradle are going down, like they can't slow down. And Jamie and I talk about, slowing down a lot and doesn't mean I mean like we said it's not impossible hopefully they can learn or maybe they just haven't been taught it um so just knowing to grow your game more than you know I have parents being like oh my daughter scored like seven goals I'm like oh but did she just like run by everybody and like who was in goal was there right. any defense right. <laughs> yeah and also like and that's where also well how many assists did she have mm-hmm. having seven goals and no assist or is she like seven and five, like evening it out. Type of seven for 30. Yeah. 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 So, and then the other thing that I also would really encourage attackers getting recruiting is, is um, something we used to say, well, the ride in general, it doesn't even have to be if it was their turnover or shot that hit the goalie in the stick, but something we used to use at Syracuse was IPR and it meant instant positive response. So I like, and this is why I, I, struggle with watching one of the reasons I struggle with having to recruit while watching a kid's film is because obviously when they cut their highlight film it's going to be all their their great plays I want to see a kid I want to see a kid make a mistake I want to see how they react because we're all human we're going to make mistakes in games there's I've probably I've never had a game where I didn't have a turnover or or a bad shot um so I want to see that. I don't want to see it consistently, but I want to see that. And I want to see how a player reacts. I want to see if they hang their stick and they just walk um, back while the other team is clearing the ball, or are they going to ride hard and try to get that ball back for their team and ride all the way to the other 30? Um, I think that's super important. And I think that that's something that we kind of have lost with this whole Corona and everything and having to, you know, recruit through zoom and through, um, watching all these sports crude highlight tapes, which are, which are great. Um, but again, I want to see a kid make a mistake. I want to see how they react. Totally. I love that. And I said, so I said to my girls this summer for those 22s and 23s on film, like guys, this is, they're getting everything. They're getting the raw footage. They're not, you know what I mean? So you guys better be ready and you better be on. And, and that's how they should attack every practice and every game. Like you can't just turn it on for when a coach is on the sideline. Totally. Totally. Yeah, you don't get a highlight film of like grades and you know your your uh, um, you know your your conduct and your leadership and your culture side. You, you, it has to be every day, right? Um, so we were just talking about attackers. Um, now, if I were to ask the same question about midfielders, and I'm going to throw a defenseman in there because I want to know 
A, how you look at recruiting middies and defenders and B, do you really recruit defenders or do you just recruit middies? Sometimes people think, well, they don't even recruit defenders because they're just going to take the middies and make them into defenders. Or, or are you looking for that defensive mindset? How do you then recruit the position within position of middies, which some probably will be defenders? And how do you look at defenders? Definitely. So I think for defenders, it comes, I don't personally do a lot of the recruiting for defenders, but I definitely do think it's, it's along the same lines. You want them a little bit, I would say you want them a little bit more athletic and um, you know, like that. But I think when they like fast and athletic, but when they're on the defensive end, it is similar to an attacker where we do want them to have that IQ and be able to like read slides and know where, when, when it should go and when it should come from and, and stuff like that. And I think for middies, it's more of that. I, I need kind of like a workhorse. I want you to be athletic. I want you to be strong. I want you to be fast. And then I want the IQ to be on the de defensive and the attacking end, because if you think about it, and this is something that Ann said um, recently that really resonated with me is that, you know, um, middies have think about everything they, they you know as an attacker you're constantly thinking about um playing offense and like what type of defense is in and like stuff like that having to recognize is it a man is it a zone and and when you should run a play and and the shot clock and all that stuff and then as a defender you're thinking of kind of the same things just on the other side of the ball middies have to do both of that so for them to it's kind of hard for them so i need somebody who's going to be vocal especially on the defensive end also vocal offensively um because i i want somebody who's going to be smart enough to kind of help the middies and and almost direct them being like a player like a player coach on the field and kind of direct them into where they need to be and what they need to do and i i do think like growing up i don't know your experiences but growing up i heard a lot of defense was communication defense communication and i think 100 percent. but i also think that offense needs to be better at communicating as well. Um, you know, sometimes that gets overlooked. I think, again, like I said, some of these middies, they just have, they have so much going on. They're worrying about everything in between the thirties transitions, you know, draw controls, offense, defense, all of that subbing coming to the box if they're D mid, whatever. So I think it's super helpful if you can have like an attacker or a defender, just, you know, directing them on the field. And there's been plenty of times when I was playing too, is like my, some of my best friends were, were in the midfield. And I remember literally just, yelling out what they should do step by step and and I think it's important and you really do have to have that kind of IQ and awareness to be able to to play your own game but also to help your teammates and that's again that's another reason why I say you know the good players make themselves look good but the great players can make their teammates look good and that's another big thing is that leadership and that kind of communication that's really helpful I think especially because those middies are, are run they're tired so they actually they need to try and communicate as well but they need to listen so it's like finding those middies or workhorses that can listen and the defenders and attackers that can communicate and help, help their teammates. Totally. It's yeah. awesome. Love it. Hey, thanks so much for uh, coming on and joining us. Um, Nicole, it was a total blast to listen to your philosophies and where you came from and how you, how you came to these philosophies. I love the backyard. And I think that anybody that wants to, your kids to get as slick as Nicole Levy, get in the backyard and play a lot of three by. Totally. Thanks, Thanks Nicole. Good luck in your next game. Go get Thanks. them. Go Buffs. Yeah, go Buffs. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks.